0: yo ho yo ho it's off to the podcast we go that's a great introduction i think you should keep that
1: my head hurts so
0: much from what
1: (laughs) from dropping a mirror on it
0: you dropped them when
1: (laughs) because we had our t-pose mirrors (laughs) and i had to get behind them to (laughs) plug in my laptop (laughs) and it just smashed right onto my head Stop on whispering face. into the <laughs> mic! <laughs> You'll know later.
0: How do you guys feel about candy corn?
1: I used to eat too much of it. Do you like it? It's terrible! It's so sweet! It's like bad in a way that I can't stop eating.
0: <laughs> I accept that. Have too. you ever
1: had candy corn M Ms? No. Disgusting. Like it's like an M&M and it looks, it's the size and shape of a peanut M&M. So you're like, fuck yeah, a peanut M&M. Uh. And you're like, but then you bite into it and it's just like the white candy corn part.
0: Hershey's uh. made like a candy corn bar.
1: Well,
2: Actually, was... I'll give candy corn credit for the fact that it's fun to eat. It's fun to eat. Like because of the three sections, you can like break them off or bite them off or like split it down the middle. Like mm. it's a very interesting activity. Like, sort of like those strips of dot, like candy dots where you can peel them off. Like, it's the
1: novelty of eating it.
2: It's the novelty of eating it. It's not like it's enjoyable to eat. I
0: enjoy eating candy corn.
2: Do you? You think it tastes good? You like the
1: pumpkin ones too. Doesn't your tongue implode? No. I'm really tired. Sorry. (laughs) I slept too much and also too little. For some reason, I stayed up till two. I don't know why. And then I slept until pretty much two. I was up till
0: three. (laughs) i started
1: i thought your thing was due at midnight
0: it was but then i was up till three watching i fell into a hole of youtube videos what kind of and hole? i was watching like ask reddit videos of, oh like, i've fallen into those things that made holes. you question reality the most <laughs> oh my God. And it was all these creepy stories it was really really interesting
1: i recently have been recommended a lot of reddit mystery videos i don't know why
2: apparently okay, there's quite a few. wait of them. have you ever read the time travel posts okay wait <laughs> you know when um has, I may has have. this ever happened to you because i think this happens to a lot of people but it's like super weird so people don't talk about it which is do you ever feel like you didn't sleep but you must have slept because you wake up hours later But you're not like, you don't remember waking up. You just were looking out the window and it's day and then you look out the window and then it's night. No. And you go ask and they're like, oh, you've been in your room for hours.
0: Kind of like micro sleep.
2: I don't know. It's like you've completely forgotten everything that's happened, but nothing's happened also. Like you look at the clock and it's midnight, and then you look at the clock and it's five a.m. But you did not remember. You, like you have absolutely no recollection of sleeping in between.
1: I have times where I like, if, especially if I'm like very busy or very stressed, I'll like delete the memories of like commonplace things. So like I'll I'll walk somewhere, and I'll know obviously that I walked there. But if I try and remember like what it was like walking there, I can't. Like this happened to me. I remember in high school once. I had a I had a jazz performance, <laughs> and we had like gone up gone up the stairs and onto the stage and sat down. And then I turned to my my friend who was sitting next to me, uh, and I'm like, I actually can't remember walking up here. <laughs> now we're just here, but it's like not like I'm missing that time. It's just like if I try and remember the act of walking up the stairs, I can't. That's everything
2: always. Yeah, I can't remember doing anything. <laughs> can you can you usually remember things yeah like walking upstairs to places mm-hmm. like if you're not like actively engaging in it
0: i can usually remember weird things like that vividly
2: oh like better I than i can that remember that things all. i want to remember yeah it's weird i don't ever know what i'm doing <laughs> like it's vivid- why i lose everything all the time i don't know when i was last using it like, at all
0: my way here I remember picture perfect as if it was a movie. Like everything that happened on my way here. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Who's the weirdest person you saw?
0: I only saw, well, when I was walking out of Chavez.
2: Have you seen Psych? Probably two. Two hats? Yeah. Oh, you should solve murder mysteries Because I remember Barbara. there was a
0: couple at the corner of Circle and the Sack Loop. The guy had like a red hat on. Like
2: was it a dapper hat? What? Was it a dapper hat? A dapper it was, hat? It was a cool hat. Dapper hat.
0: I had like one of the thin straps in the back.
1: <laughs> it think? was
0: like a baseball hat. But oh, yeah.
1: Okay. Thin, <laughs> I think thin leading with it was a baseball hat would be more descriptive than saying it had a thin <laughs> strap in the back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Speaking of not knowing what we're doing. Today we're talking about research. <laughs> Clara, you're Clara. I'm Clara. Do you want to introduce yourself because I'm going to drink tea now? No. <laughs> I can't even drink my tea. Matt, help.
0: I'm also trying to drink my tea.
2: I'm not sure Matt Like, could introduce me. Matt, what do you know about me? <laughs> oh, let's play two truths, one lie. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> but with Matt.
3: Okay <laughs> Don't you Don't
2: you have to come up yeah, with yeah, the yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking of them. <laughs> I always do pets though, because people can never guess what I've owned. You've most Most things. Okay. I've owned a tarantula, an iguana, and uh <laughs> What else have I? Owned slash not owned, maybe.
1: <laughs> You're so good at this. Turtle. Or a frog.
0: Am I guessing which one? Oh, are you is guessing untrue? which one's
2: true? No, no, no. One of those is false. Therefore, four, four things. <laughs> this is tr- no longer two <laughs> truths, one lie. <laughs> it's three truths, one lie. Okay, I made it hard.
0: So, it's between a tarantula and a iguana, a turtle and a frog. Yeah. I'm going to go with the turtle.
2: (laughs) No, I had a turtle. You spent so long thinking about it, though. I know. I was trying to throw you off, and it worked. It was the iguana, yeah. I've never had an iguana. I had a friend who had an iguana.
0: Is it legal to have one? Yeah. Yeah, you can have an iguana. Because New York State has a lot of It's not by
2: state. It's by county. And I know this because we have chickens, and they have to live in a house on wheels. Why? You're not allowed to have a permanent structure for chickens in brookhaven county
1: what a weird Why? specific thing. it's so
2: that you can't have a chicken farm in your backyard mm. like it has it has to be small enough that you could move it if they made you
0: i mean people move houses like they just pick them up and put them on wheels
2: have you ever done that
0: i've seen it have you i've done driven that? by a house on a How trailer being towed
2: yeah. Do you know how much it costs so much? Do you know how much it costs for me to move my chickens' house? It's the fact None. that you could do zero dollars and zero cents and mild irritation from my little brother. <laughs>
1: Is it's he doing it. Because it's him <laughs> doing it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not me. That was a terrible introduction, Clara. What's your major?
0: No, I feel like I've learned all I need to know about her. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. Well, let's just move on. Let's
0: just move on.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm a biology major. I have a minor in Ecosystems and Human Impact and a specialization in uh, Bioinformatics, which is uh, math, but for life sciences. And programming. Yeah, and programming. I sort of group math and programming together because it's it's big data analysis is most of it. Yeah. Yeah, like genomics and um, genomics. (laughs)
1: <laughs> genomics and
2: also genomics
1: <laughs> wow it's just Diverse. there's a lot of genomics i
2: guess there's you can do like modeling and stuff too like population you did a bunch modeling. of like
1: map making which i thought was cool
2: oh that wasn't for my major it was grade, for your minor or for my uh yeah i guess it is for my minor um uh yeah geographic information system this so gis <laughs> um and that was pretty cool but I don't know if that count. I guess it's bioinformatics if you're using it. Oh, I'm doing landscape ecology right now, which is also uses GIS to analyze populations and spatial movement and stuff. Which
1: not is cool. physics.
2: Um not <laughs> physics, but there are like b- biophysics things that yes.
1: exist. I know.
2: I'm I'm pointing out the fact that we're a diverse podcast. Oh, there's also <laughs> I there's also a lot of uh, modeling that has to do with like stuff at cellular level, mm-hmm. but I'm not very interested in it. Yeah, I get really spooked when I watch those videos of like proteins literally walking. I
1: love those videos. Oh, I, I just look at that and I go, nope. Okay, so today we're talking about research. It's episode seven. That's fun. We're getting close to... It's also week seven.
2: Is it week seven or week eight? It just ended week seven. We just finished...
1: I only know what week it is because of that bot on Reddit. (laughs) Someone, like, in the Stony Brook Reddit made a bot that just posts, like, the Mr. Krabs ringing the bell meme. It's like, give it up for week seven. The only reason
2: I can keep track of time is because Charlie keeps putting into the group chat how many days until we go into Ireland. That's true. That's the the only way I keep track of time. It's the only way. (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's day 147. (laughs) It's not actually. It's day 151. Is it? I thought we only had 152 left. No, no, no. Last text was 155.
1: Was it? Yep. I'm fact-checking you in the moment. Yeah, yeah, 155. But first it says 150. And then 50. it says 50. 50, fifty.
2: It's The dialect. Fifty fifty. <laughs> we could go even on it. Fifty fifty.
1: <laughs> Are you good, man? Um can we talk about research? Because I've said it like six times now. It okay, not been Audrey, s- it's been why twice. have you invited me here? Okay, so we've talked a lot in this podcast so far, now that we're on episode seven. <laughs> Uh, about the research that me and Matt do just as like examples but we've never kind of gone in depth about like the process of doing research really very much and I think that's something that's very different from what you get in the classroom especially before actually doing it so this is an entire episode dedicated just to talking about research and Clara has been in several different labs doing very different things technically six different laboratories yeah and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about it so do you wanna do you wanna walk us through all six or just some oh, highlights? Oh yes,
2: you wanna you wanna go through my my resume. <laughs> I'm writing this up for grad schools all the time, anyways. Um, so the most the most important thing to understand about why I've been in six labs is that my mother is a research professor mm-hmm. who runs a lab on the campus that I am attending. So my mom is a, in fact the director of my minor. So my entire my entire childhood. Um, so not actually. So for a while my mom my mom was actually has her PhD in primatology and uh we moved here because there's a super famous primatologist here uh Patricia Wright who she worked for for her postdoc. Mm-hmm. Um and so when I grew up we lived in uh, a house full of uh uh gunshots and monkeys. Um <laughs> <laughs> we had so we lived in my in my mom's uh in in my mom's boss's house um because we were super poor and couldn't afford our own rent even on long island yeah that's fair (laughs) yeah and so she has this huge monkey cage in her backyard that i grew up playing in because she had two pet monkeys of some sort um and they had died before we moved in but they were still in the freezer so when i was a kid we had to reach past the monkeys to get to the popsicles um, and that was just a normal wait, wait, part of I life. Can I interject?
0: You said you played with these monkeys.
2: No, she played in the cage. I played in the cage. We had like a like it was a it was, like a it was bigger gym, than kinda... this room, and it was like a jungle gym because it was a, a monkey cage that monkeys lived in, and it was just like on the cliff of uh, beside the Long Island Sound, so it was right on the ocean. It was a super weird way to grow up. Um yeah. but. We had all these kinds of pets, because my mom's first student was like, uh, was like, was Eric the reptile guy, and uh, so one day his mom kicked him out of the house, um, not because he was gay, but because he had too many reptiles, and he, she said, you can't live here if you have all those reptiles, so we took all those reptiles, so I remember being about four, and we had, uh, you know, a tarantula, back to my earlier um, fun facts, we had frogs, we had We had snakes and, and eventually we gave most of them back except for some hissing cockroaches. Um, but yeah, so I had a weird childhood and then she took a few years off to take care of us and then she got a job back here and now she runs a completely unrelated research, uh, an earthworm, uh, ecotoxins lab where we look at the environment, how environmental pollution affects the health and longevity of earthworms, um. And so she got this job when I was in, like, eighth grade, maybe earlier. Um, But when I was in ninth grade, I I started actually working in her lab. um, And I'd bring all my friends with me because I thought it was fun. And it was pretty fun because we mostly hung out in the greenhouse. Um, Charlie was in that lab, too. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so – and we'd – what was our first project? It was on acid rain, maybe? And our second project was on – on roundup and our third project was on turf and we actually got that one published um so by the time i got to college i'd already worked in a in a lab for four years i'd already learned um a a lot of what undergraduates know in terms of uh research Mm. um which got me into the honors college um, and got some of my friends into the honors college too Mm. um yeah but then once i got here i was like okay I'm going to stop working in my mom's lab because that would be cool. Uh, It'd be cool to not have everything in my life be um, as a result of having a really, really cool mother. Um, And I got a position in uh, another lab um, with the marine sciences program here um, where, and it was a fish parasitology lab, but my project was actually on um, how global warming was, uh, uh, so global warming, when, when the oceans get hot, it causes them to both get hotter and more acidic, Mm. um, because of the amount of gas that, of carbon dioxide that can dissolve into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and people look a lot at, uh, how temperature affects it and how pH affects it, but they don't look a whole lot at the interaction between the two. Um, and especially, I looked at microbiomes, um, which is all of, the, all of the different kinds of uh, microbes and um, bacteria that live inside of your gut that greatly affect your health and the health of all the fish and the health of everything that has a microbiome. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can look, you can sequence it, you can figure out what kinds of different microbes live there, and um, different profiles of microbes have different health effects. Um, so like if there's certain kinds of bacteria that you can find, if, if it's the most populous bacteria in a fish gut, it means that it's, uh, uh, likely to become sick and, uh, likely to have fewer fish babies and generally be less successful, which is pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and that lab was really cool because I worked... With a grad student mostly. So it was a super small lab. It was just me and my professor and a grad student. It was literally three people. Yep. And there were like, sometimes an extra grad student would drop in for like a few months and they'd be like, maybe I want to be here. But then they didn't. And sometimes another undergraduate would stop by, but it was just us. And so the graduate student was trying to, cre- trying to complete her PhD thesis. So I would help her with a lot of her projects. And what we would do is we'd like... Wash massive amounts of of tanks, and we built an entire like I guess aquarium mm-hmm. um, with hundreds of tanks um, for her experimental fish from Alaska, which was pretty cool. and uh my my p i was interesting because she had never had students before, really, and so we were her first students, and she didn't really know what to do with us. And she treated my, the graduate student like a postdoc, and she treated me like a graduate student, even though I was a sophomore. Mm. I wasn't even, I was a freshman in in, in, in college. Um, and we had a lot of free reign and also a lot of responsibilities, and it got me into trouble a few times, because <laughs> she expected me to be working on a level that I was too, I did not know enough to work at. Mm. Um and so, you know, I'd do something like make a mistake and not tell anyone because I didn't know what to do because I was scared and a baby. Um, you should always own up to your mistakes if you, uh, yeah. the, the biggest, most important thing to do in bio-research <laughs> is if you screw up an experiment, make sure you tell someone. I think that's
1: true in any experiment. Well, uh,
2: oh, maybe, I, I, but I have to, yeah. So anyways, if you mislabel everything, just tell someone. Even though it's terrible. It's better than someone else telling them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's better than finding out after you do the experiment. Um, But, you know, eventually what happened is actually the marine sciences program decided not to... So she was from France, and her husband was from France. And she had had a baby, and she was pregnant with another baby. And they needed to have... Her husband needed a job because they had a small family on Long Island, the... Mm second most expensive place to live except for Hawaii maybe, maybe. um and uh they so much promised the the marine sciences place promised to hire her husband but wouldn't actually do it hmm. so she moved back to France because her husband got a better job so I was orphaned so <laughs> I had to find a new lab um so I applied to a lab at uh Cold Spring Harbor um which is where like Watson and Crick discovered DNA, and all this, like, Barbara McClintock discovered jumping jeans. I actually worked in Barbara McClintock's literal laboratory, like, where she used to work. I You guys probably don't know who no, she is. We're not bio people. <laughs> but I, she's rather famous. She won a Nobel Prize. Cool. Um, and she discovered, uh jumping genes, which is nuts. That, that, that stuff's crazy. But anyway, <laughs> so I got into this lab um, that did cancer, cancer biology research um, with, with uh, CRISPR. Um, mm. And CRISPR is gene editing. So if you see in the news, there's all this hype about, um, about gene editing, about designer babies or whatever. Um, and all of that is a result of this new technology called CRISPR- um, it's, and it's a system of, it basically, it takes advantage of another biological system, like, that can go in and very selectively clip out, um, sections of your genome, mm. um, which is totally bizarre, but it works really well, and it's really efficient, so you really can just, like, sit down in an afternoon and remove your least favorite gene from a cell line, um, and that was pretty exciting, but I did not like the questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, yeah you I, can't say I,
1: that was a good research experience.
2: I, it was at first, because at first I was just, you know, I was in this super cool place. I was shadowing, um, I was shadowing these two um, undergraduate students who I both really, who I liked a lot, um, and they taught me i i'd get to basically i'd go to work and i'd follow them around like a puppy every day and i would be like oh what does this do oh what does this do oh what does this do and they'd tell me and it was all really cool yeah. um but eventually it got to the point where i knew the answer to what does this do to everything and then i got my own projects and then i basically sat alone in <laughs> silence into the late hours of the morning and pipetted um which I was not my favorite thing. Yeah, you really less scienced for, yes, for a so, long time. Yes, yeah, so I had a I like I I couldn't ever quite be as productive as everyone else and a lot of it was because um I didn't really care about the question very much and uh one time I went to one time I went to a like a dinner they had like all these really cool conferences with famous scientists, but I went to one with uh one of my friends from the lab. And she and we were standing in line at the buffet, and I was talking about how oh, it was horseshoe crab season because we're (laughs) right on a harbor. It's called Spring Harbor, and I I like to go out at lunch and go watch the horseshoe crabs come in. And I'm like, oh, it's horseshoe crab season. And did you know no one knows what happens to horseshoe crab populations? And blah 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 blah. And um, she, the the student I was with, turned to me and she said, "Can I tell you something?" I don't have any idea why we save endangered species she says I guess they're cute but like it's just a tiger and I like my heart stopped I ascended to another plane of existence and I gazed down at my own body and I was like wow I am in the wrong field like cellular cancer bio like I don't care I need to be doing conservation biology. Mm -hmm. This is the wrong place for me. If I even want to be doing research at all, it is not here. Um, But I kept trying to work there because we were publishing this paper and we were publishing it in science. Like, literally, I have an actual... My name is on a publication in science translational medicine, which is nuts, right? I'm an undergraduate with... with That paper is an impact factor of, like, 14. Um, Yeah, right? And... So I really wanted to just finish this project but it it was really hard cuz I didn't care and it was a lot of work and it was an hour away. Um and so finally I wrote basically like a breakup list and I and I practiced it on all my friends and I took it there and I I took it to my 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 my, my PI and I was like dear Jason I don't want to be here anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like, "Well, please let me go." And he was super nice because he's a normal person, and yeah. was like, "Okay, I'm not holding you here." And so, I uh, left, but I didn't like know what to do because mm-hmm. I was really sick of research. I was super tired. I'd been working. I'd sleep in the car there. I'd been working constantly on something that I didn't care particularly about. My friends who had been there previously actually had graduated by this point, so <laughs> I didn't even know anyone there really. Yeah. I was just super lonely, and I'd run through all of my music playlists all the time. <laughs> so I quit, and I was like, whoa, what's it like to be a person again? Um, so I took a whole year off of um, of research, and then I applied to uh, REUs, which are uh, undergraduate research, Research Research experience for undergraduates. Research experience for undergraduates. Um, And basically the government will fund you to go do research um, under certain conditions if you apply Hmm. correctly and to the right places (laughs) and you have enough experience, which doesn't make sense. Yeah,
1: it's... It, a funny thing, because they're designed to, like, expose people who don't have access to research to more research. Yeah. But, like, the first question on the application is, like, tell us your research experience. Yeah.
2: And some of them will take you, but not if you're from an R1 university. Mm. It's got a lot of rules. But anyway, so I finally, I I was like, all right, I want to do field research, right? Like, I want to save the tigers, and I want to tell people why, not tigers, but yeah. more like snails, but yeah. I, I want to, or bats, But I wanted to tell, right, and, like, be part of this, but I didn't, so I applied to all this field research things, but then, of course, the first question is, tell us about your field research experience, which I had none of. Um, So I got into zero of those, and the only one I got into was called uh, uh, Population, Biology, and Infectious Diseases, which was this last summer I got into it, Um, and it had no field research. And also, they picked me because I was super qualified to do lab work. So I ended <laughs> up doing more lab work. But it was super fun because it was a mosquito lab instead of a cell bi- cell lab. And I was... uh, It was really cool. I got to, like, count the mosquito larvae and raise them into adults and, like, dissect them and, like, count their sporocytes. And I was working on a problem with malaria. Um, and on top of that, my mentor was really good. Like, I had uh for, like, he, he was, like, my friend, we'd, like, hang out and joke around, and, you know, he helped me make decisions about, like, where to apply for grad school, he helped me, like, design my own experiment, it wasn't all about, like, publishing and getting things done, which is important, Mm -hmm. like, especially in a new, in a new lab, in a hotshot space, like, uh, like Cold Spring, but it wasn't the same experience, and it was much better, and I made a lot of friends through the program, Um, and I just had a really nice time and I was like, okay, okay. I do like research. Mm. I could do this. I was like, but I want to be doing conservation research. So I came, I came back, um, I came back to school and I was like, okay, who do I know who's a conservation biologist? And I'd had this really awesome research professor, um, the, for a class for conservation biology the previous year. And I was like, okay, I'll go ask her. I know that she does bat research and she took me and, the project I'm doing now is like the coolest project I've ever done. It's really weird for me because it's a methodology paper, which mm. means instead of asking a question and answering it, I'm trying to come up with a way to answer a type of question. Mm. Um, and the type of question I'm answering is, uh, can you do, can you sequence, can you sequence things in the field and uncover information about conservation biology? So there's a huge breakthrough. Okay, so in, like, 1995, <laughs> <laughs> there was a sequencing uh, project called the Human Genome Project, where yeah. people are like, all right, we're going to know every single gene in the human in <clears throat> the human genome. We're going to know every single nucleotide. And they were like, all right, it's going to take us 15 years, because the sequencing um, methods at that time were super crappy. Mm. Um, and then came along, like, 2007-ish, This thing called next generation sequencing, which I have used. What you do is you, you extract your DNA and you send it to a place and in like a few weeks it comes back and it tells you everything. It tells you the whole genome. It only takes a few hours to sequence what once took literal 15 years. Mm. Um, And it's really great, but it also requires that you send it away and it requires, um, uh quite a lot of money per yeah. sample um so now there's this brand new cutting edge technique um designed by a private company called nanopore and it's a cell phone sized piece of equipment with holes in it and you take some dna and you put it into the thing and with barcodes and stuff so you can tell the different so you can take a lot of different dna so you can take it from a whole bunch of different species that you extract from you um uh r- replicate a bunch of times and you mark with a special tag on each one and then you can take up to 12 I think and you put it into this cell phone sized machine and which and it will plug it into your computer and it sequences it for you. It's still really bad but this is like this is this is really cool yeah. for for biologists um especially as it happens bat scientists because bats are really hard to ship. <laughs> because they carry an intense amount of diseases mm-hmm. which means that borders are like mm, what if you didn't bring that into our country yeah. um and so as a result they really the the bat scientists out there would really like to be able to do all their bat sequencing in the field so i'm designing a protocol to detect endangered bats from only their guano in the field um, and it's the it's the coolest part. I'll actually get to go to Jamaica, I think, to do this project. Oh, and Oh, yeah. And collect that go?
1: That. Have you heard back about that? I, I
2: will get to go. Yeah, that's so. Yeah. cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. The Eureka. So the Stony Brook will give me um, four hundred dollars to the school to, for the plane tickets, which will work. Um, and then Liliana's lab is pretty rich and it funds the rest um and i also have, I have a really good relationship with uh my with my research professor right now she's super cool the other really cool thing is that she's gay mm-hmm. and i'm gay and i'm like whoa look at this gay lady doing cool research <laughs> I'm
1: like same you answered like all of my my question my interview questions i was like thinking of in the past like 10 minutes <laughs> by yourself <laughs> thanks that is essentially
2: my grfp yes. application <laughs> actually we should almost you word read for word. your
1: personal statement
2: <laughs> yeah it, it's pretty much exactly that mm-hmm. um yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't have any more to say
1: i have a, a question for the room which is not for the room but it's mostly for matt because clara already answered it All uh right. have you ever had to like leave a lab because you found out it wasn't what you wanted to do no no
0: i mean i've only ever been in two labs and i'm mm. still in both so oh no. that's
1: true you still work at bing technically like a little bit what with your binghamton guy no, not e- binghamton buffalo buffalo yeah oh, it's a b yeah and it's out there
0: the two b's in new york state <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no we still work together um well we're wrapping up our publication now and then i think once that's submitted is probably when we'll stop working together yeah So, but as of right now...
1: You've never had to choose to leave a lab? No. I've had to do that. I did do that in my first lab. Because I decided it just wasn't right. But it's like a freaky thing, right? It's really, it's
2: really a lot like a breakup. Yeah. Like, quite a lot like a breakup.
1: Like i
2: i've only ever quit. they're like why are you leaving me and you're like i'm sorry it just doesn't feel right in my heart all the yeah. time and we've like, spent together yeah they're like all the time we've spent together we have publications to do and you're like i'm sorry but i can't be true to myself and work here
1: yeah like yeah. i i mean i had an out in my first lab because i i had decided i i mean i I think a lot of the reason I wanted to leave that lab was for, like, unrelated personal reasons. But there was too much, like, bad association with, like, where I was in my life when I was working there. I just didn't want to perpetuate it. But I had an out because my professor was leaving Stony Brook. (laughs) He's like, you can keep working for me, but remotely. Because, like, I'm going to Amherst. And, like, I'll be by every couple of months. And I'm like, I think I'd rather work with someone that's here. He's like, that's fair. And then he let me leave. So it was actually really easy to leave. But the idea, especially because my project wasn't done, and I think in in a lot of ways, your research is never done.
2: It's, it's never very done. much like an
1: art project like yeah that. you could keep working on it forever, yeah, but like leaving an unfinished project is really hard, yeah, you have to get
2: used to. Basically, if, if you're going into research, you have to get used to two things. One of them is being uncomfortable,
3: mm-hmm.
2: like just like being uncomfortable with how much you know and how much you need to learn. And like you have to be uncomfortable because you have to communicate uncomfortable things to people mm. where you're like, hi, I can't do this mm. or I don't know how to do this or I didn't do this. Yeah. And all of those are just like they're going to be disappointed in you to some extent, like not. Most of them are pretty understanding, but, like, you do have that experience. And then the other one is you have to be really good at um, communicating what you need and when you need it, and there's no other way to do research.
1: Yeah, like, I think in my first lab, I did most of my communication through a grad student rather than through my actual PI. I think so, too. And... Like my grad student was easy to talk to, but as soon as I got in in the office with my PI, I was like, spooked. Like you've you've been to KK's office, like it's a scary place to be because he's so smart. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. Like it's not not a very like welcome welcoming presence. Like he's so nice, but he's like intimidating because he's very much like high up in his field, hmm. and I didn't. I talked to him so little face-to-face that, like, anytime I did, it was really hard to, like, actually communicate what I needed. Like, I remember, um, n- needing to ask him for funding to be here over the summer. Because as you mentioned, Long I Island- I remember that, yeah. Yeah, Long Island is not a cheap place to live. So I had to go up to him and be like, look, I could work here with you over the summer, but either you need to be paying me more or I need to be able to work remotely and go back to my parents' house in, like, the middle of nowhere and work for you remotely because I can't pay rent on Long Island, and I feel like a lo- <laughs> this happened with, with my current advisor, too. When I first met with him, I worked for money because I didn't have another job, and, and I had to ask for that, which is a very unsettling thing to do as an undergrad because I think there's a precedent that undergrads are kind of free labor in a lot of labs. I don't I feel like that's especially true in
2: bio. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you are a – if a lot of the advertisements for, for- – biology students especially because biology is what all the pre-meds are mm-hmm. and the pre-meds all need everything they they're like resume buffing machines yeah which is everything they can possibly do to get an edge on med school they can do so they try to get into all of these um research labs but they really drive the the working conditions down as a yeah. result, because there's so many of them, mm-hmm. and they will all do anything to just be there. Yeah, they're replaceable. Which means too. they're replaceable. Yeah, which means that a lot of it is lab teching. You just end up like that. A big part of my problem with Cold Spring is I was doing no thinking and all lab teching. Yeah, I was just like, all right, now it's time to do Experiment Seven Point Two. And I'm like, all right, I will set up this cell plate, and then in five days I will do this to it, and in another five days I will do this to it, and then I'll report my results back, and
1: that was it. Yeah. It was very procedural. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one one nice thing about physics, <laughs> is that at least I in both of my labs, my job as an undergraduate researcher is to become an expert on my very specific niche, like over the course of the like two and a half years I worked in my first lab, I, I became an expert in the kind of simulation I was doing. It was very specific and can help very few people, but like I had a grad student in the lab that I used to work in come back to me and be like, can you meet up with me and walk me through this simulation? I was like, yeah, of course, because it's there. I know how to do it. And like I feel like as you progress through physics, at least, like you just become an expert on more things. Like sure, maybe I'm an expert on like this very specific setup for one sp- specific type of simulation of one particle detector, but like I'm an expert in that. Now I'll just become an expert in more things until I'm useful. That makes sense. But yeah, I like I had to ask um, I had to ask my previous advisor and my current one for for money because I think also there's a lot of expectation that you can support yourself off of like your savings and your parents as an undergrad. And so I remember when I when I asked uh, my current advisor for money, he's like, Audrey, this is what loans are for. And I'm like, you don't understand. I don't have credit. I don't have capital. I don't have savings. I, like my family can't afford to take out any more loans. And I have taken out the maximum number of loans that I can take out without actually drowning myself. So you need to pay me. Or I can't work with you. And it's, like, a test of whether or not you're worth it to them. Which is, like, crazy because what you're asking for is minimum wage for your labor. (laughs) But it's such a scary thing to do that, like, I remember every time I've had to do that, it's, like, actually haunted me for, like, weeks before I actually asked. I've been like, hey, look, I really need money or I can't get groceries this week. Yeah, for my...
2: French for my French professor when, uh, who did the parasitology lab? I worked for her for a summer, and every summer before that, I worked as a swim instructor. Mm-hmm. And I worked outside. I worked in the sun, and I made quite a lot of money because I worked for private swim instructing company yeah. on Long Island. <laughs> yeah, you can make. So banks. all of the rich kids who come out from all of the rich parents who have their summer houses out here mm-hmm. from the city. Want to pay private swim instructors to um teach their kids to swim, and I worked for one of these high end companies and I got paid quite well. And my research professor was like, "Hi, you have to come work for me." And I was like, "Okay, I can work for you, but you got to pay me." Yeah,
1: because <laughs> I gotta. You have a standard. <laughs> I
2: have. To, I have to. I have to. I have to make some money. I can't. Like my my tuition depends upon me making this four thousand yeah. dollars every summer. Yeah. Like I have to make at least four thousand a summer, or I. Have to take out a loan, Mm. and I'm working really. I've been very lucky, um, in that I haven't had to take out any loans yet, Mm -hmm. so I should be able to graduate college debt free. And I did that on purpose and have worked for that, yeah. Like, I've used every every advantage here that I've got (laughs) to not owe the state money, yeah. And uh, one of those, I did have to go talk to her and be like, Listen, I can't work for free, yeah. And she The deal we worked out was super weird, and I'm not sure that it was a great deal, (laughs) but basically she gave me a stipend of $2,000 regardless of the hours I worked, Mm. but I also could work part-time doing, making another $2,000 from my swim instructing job, which was super weird because basically I'd get up in the morning, I'd go to work, and I'd work until about 2 Mm p.m., And then I'd leave, and I'd work until it got dark, which was eight pm. on Long Island mm-hmm. and I'd uh, uh doing swim lessons and I'd do that every single day, yeah, and it was super exhausting because I was working a full-time job and a part-time job for the amount
1: of money for one full-time job. I did the exact same thing. If you remember my first summer, I don't know if I've talked about this yet, but my my first summer doing research I got my advisor to agree to pay me, but I also applied for a grant through Eureka, which we talked about before. But the way funding worked for Eureka that year, I only got half of the normal grant. So usually they give summer researchers at Stony Brook $4,000, which is not enough, but whatever. Um, they'll give they'll give you $4,000, and that year like there were too many applicants, and so I guess I just got half of that. So I got $2,000. And so I I told my advisor that I'm like, hey, I got a half grant for two grand. Like, that's obviously not going to cover me for the summer. So what do we want to do? And he's like, here's what we'll do. You work for me $2,000 worth of hours and then I'll start paying you. But what wasn't understood was that Stony Brook has a two week pay period. And for whatever reason, takes like two weeks to three weeks to process a check, especially when you first start. So there was a, a month in the middle of the summer where I got no income. So what I did is right at the beginning of the summer, I was working 40 hours a week in my lab making minimum wage, which at the time was $10 an hour. Just so little. It, like, makes me upset. So I made $10 an hour working my my full-time research job in, like, nuclear physics. Um, And then I worked at Trader Joe's for between 20 and 30 hours a week making... $13.50 Thirteen fifty an hour. <laughs> so Trader Joe's paid significantly more than my, you know, nuclear physics job, which like broke my heart a little bit, but it was a fun place to work in general. But like just the, the fact that I was working at that point, like 70 hours a week and I was trying to pay rent, which on Long Island, I was living in someone else's basement with them living above me, renting out one room. And it cost me $750 a month, ah. which is, like, actually so radically upsetting. <laughs> like, But, yeah, so my, my advisor did not, like, really realize how, like, deep into a hole I had dug myself that summer. So I, like, bumped up my hours at Traders and I was working, like, so, so, so much. And, like, Allie was living with me and she, like, never, ever saw me anymore. And I'd, I'd have, like, maybe maybe one day off a month. And <laughs> it was absolutely insane of uh, just going and sitting in the lab and doing simulations for like eight hours and then running to Trader Joe's and working like a 4 p.m. to midnight shift it was like a weird trippy time to exist and be alive. But uh, I think I think, especially at Stony Brook, there's definitely a problem with, with funding students for the summer because I, I know if you want to live on campus, you- that $4,000 they give you doesn't cover it. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. L- living on campus for the summer, for whatever reason, costs about four grand. And not only that, that four grand. grand is not guaranteed. Yeah. It's
2: super competitive. It's like, super
1: competitive. As,
2: like, even if you're a physics student, you're kind of lucky because yeah. you're likely to get it. Even, because there
1: are less of us. Because there are
2: just fewer. But if you're a biology student, yeah, I, you ought to be the best of the best. I actually I did get a Eureka grant once, mm-hmm. and it was the same year I got Cold Spring, so I turned it down mm-hmm. because Cold Spring paid me. And, like, but the level that I had to be, the resume that I had to have to get it was already one that got me into Cold Spring Harbor. Yeah. Right? Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: it was, it's not accessible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, RUs are the best way, I think. to, to make RUs money. are
2: the best way, and they're also crazy competitive. They're crazy competitive. They're... If you if you can get one, they usually give you housing.
1: Oh, and they pay if you, you can
2: get one, it's like summer camp for scientists. Yeah, it's great. It's great.
1: That that was like the most relaxed I have been financially ever.
2: <laughs> it was just the most relaxed I'd ever been.
1: I had exterior I just, circumstances. It was that just made me vacation, yeah. for me. Um. Yeah, so I like asking your your PIs for money is probably one of the harder things I've ever had to do. Either beaten or closely seconded by trying to take like essentially like medical leave from from research, which have we both had to do. I've done it. I've done it. Yeah, yeah. I uh, like during the semester you can you can't really unless you're very nice to your PI, you can't really get paid for research. So you take credit and you get credit for the research you're doing. And I I took a credit working in my old lab, and it was at a time where my, my mental health kind of spiraled out of control, and I was supposed to be doing research the whole semester, and I had stopped, like, probably three weeks in, and I just couldn't do it anymore. And I had to, like, actually email my advisor and be like, I'm so sorry, I cannot. And so I just, like, peaced out for the rest of the semester and made it up over winter break, but it was like nightmarish trying to explain that to, to your pi who's like very high standing in nuclear physics i can't ugh. so
2: i've actually had two experiences with this and one of them was good and one of them was bad mm-hmm. um and they were both the outcome of them was both determined by me a little bit so um my when i was working in uh in the fish lab hmm. i broke my arm yeah. on a in a unicycle accident and
1: <laughs> um, I, I think that makes light of like it was really bad it was so it was actually
2: it was really bad i i one of my bones struck my other bone and broke that bone and then that piece of bone left and lodged itself in my other bones so i couldn't turn my arm oh my god! so it was i had to get surgery to fix it and i have two titanium screws in my elbow these days um, and it still doesn't work. Can you go through right. metal detectors? I can because it's titanium. Oh shit! Nice. Um, <laughs> people ask me that a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I I broke my arm, and I also have a I have a I have a chronic illness that makes me uh, kind of sick sometimes, mm. and it makes me sick whenever I'm stressed or in pain or on intense pain medications. Like if you break your elbow and then have to get surgery on it, <laughs> so I had to take like an incomplete for one of my classes that I made up the next semester, but um worse than that i had I had a huge fight with my p i over it because mm. um, she called me in and she was super stressed for reasons I've outlined prior yeah um you know with her with her too she was pregnant and yeah. she didn't know where she was gonna live, she didn't yeah. know what kind of job, so she was super stressed out, and I totally get that, and she was also kind of young, so she hadn't had students before, but she called she gave me an A-minus on my on a research credit. Now, the way that research credits work is you go in, you work the right number of hours, and if your PI is happy with you, they give you an A if mm-hmm. it even has a grade, which is bizarre. Yeah, mine have grades. My, mine, the bio doesn't, the marine science does. Yeah, I've never but not gotten an A on a so research took, credit. So, yeah, because you shouldn't. Yeah. It, the only reason they give you an A is if you did something wrong or not give oh, you an a yeah yeah the only reason they don't give you a is if if you do something wrong so i got she gave me an a minus and i went what <laughs> so i went in and she and she was like oh yeah you know in france like in france they like you can just get bad grades sometimes i don't know <laughs> if that's true or not i presumably it is but in america you cannot get bad grades sometimes if you're trying to do anything especially on what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went in, I was like, listen, I broke my arm. I haven't been able to come in. And she's like, yeah, you just haven't been participating. (laughs) And I was like, yes, (laughs) I haven't been participating. This is all very put together. What actually happened is I pulled into the parking lot. I like was trying not to cry because I was so nervous because I didn't Mm. want her to think badly of me when I put so much work into her lab. Because I really did work as much as I possibly could for her. And I liked working for her, mm-hmm. and I really didn't want her to be disappointed in me. And I open my car door, and it slams into the... Na- it doesn't even slam. It, like, touches the, the person parked next to me. And some crazy lady gets out and starts shouting at me about, like, damaging her car. And she's like, look at this dent you made! And I, like, open the door and show that that wasn't the dent I made. But I'm super rattled. Yeah. And I walk inside, and I'm like, <laughs> like... Uh, like exactly negative fourteen seconds from having a breakdown. Like I'm into a breakdown without having re- reached it yet, and I mm. I walk into her office and she looks at me, and I start crying, and I go <laughs> and I'm like, hold on a second, and I go in the bathroom and I try to stop crying, and I come back, and she's like, what, and I'm like hi why did you give me an a minus minus? and she was like she's like what because you haven't been doing this you haven't been doing this you haven't been doing this i'm like i broke my arm i've been really sick you know i've been in the hospital mm-hmm. i've been in surgery i've been in the doctor's office like you got to understand here buddy i'm doing my best and i you know eventually she gave me an incomplete and um I had to f- work it out the next semester, which was fine. I, cause I hadn't been able to work as many hours yeah, because so you, I could like, made not physically pipette with a broken arm. <laughs> yeah. And, um, she, she was super worried about it and it was mm. a super, uncar- it was the, one of the most harrowing experiences of my life was being in that room. <laughs> um, yeah. that, that being said, um, since then, uh, she did, it did work out and I had a I like she's written my letters of rec. We mm-hmm. have a good relationship now. Yeah, but um, a lot of that was I should have been communicating it better. Yeah, as it was occurring, and I, I didn't yeah, understand I did the that. Same thing. I just I was like I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, and really you shouldn't be. I'm fine. You should underestimate how fine you are to other people <laughs> all of the time so that you always overperform instead of always underperform.
1: Yeah, like I remember when I started really having a hard time in my lab, like I wouldn't go to group meetings and I always like literally make up reasons that I couldn't make it. But the reason was that I was like really not okay, like emotionally for like other reasons. But I like, I always felt like that was an illegitimate excuse that I like, hey, I'm just having a really hard time right now. But instead I'm like, I have a dentist appointment. <laughs> I think I told them I went to the ophthalmologist or like my car was broken, which sometimes was true, but <laughs> sometimes your yeah, car was n- broken. it's like, because w- when things start going wrong in your research, I feel like it's especially easy to th- think that you can't tell anyone. Yeah, that. but it really it's not. It's not a big it's deal. It's really good if you if you share when things go wrong. Yeah, so last week with my
2: PI right now, who I've learned a lot about communicating with your boss. Mm. Um especially in research. Um since then, I last week I had a really bad day <laughs> and I came home Um, so I live with Audrey and I came home and I was like Audrey I have to go to lab now and she was and she was like why I'm like because I have to go I have to go do this thing and I really don't want to I'm having the worst day of all time and my you know my I my chronic illness is flaring up and I've had a really bad day and everything's terrible and she's like why don't you just tell her and I'm like (laughs) oh yeah and so then i sent her an email and i was like hi i have a chronic illness i'm gonna take the day off i was like i'll be in next week and i was i was in all week and i got all my stuff done Mm -hmm. and i didn't feel pressured about it because i sent her this email and she was like okay feel better that's all the email said (laughs) because she didn't care because she's a real person who understands that we're real people yeah like i said
1: a really when I when I ended up like trying to make up for my you know like six weeks of not actually working in my lab I sent like such like a crafted email about like and measured about like how how to tell your your PI that you've really not been okay without telling them like actually what's wrong because I was like that would be too much and so I like for, like, I think an actual week, I, like, poured over this email, like, making sure it was okay. I sent it to you. I sent it to Charlie. I sent it to Allie. I sent it to, like, literally everyone Be like, is this okay? Am I saying too much? Am I saying too little? Am I being too vague? Like, and I sent it and you replied, like, so quickly. And he's like, that's fine. Like, take time for yourself. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll make it up in January. Great. But it's what's funny is in January, I broke my foot. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do everything. I and I was working a job where I just like sat at a desk from eleven p.m. to three a.m. and that's when I did all my research. <laughs> so I'd send all these emails like at the weirdest times of day to my like grad student, my PI, being like, "I got this done," but it's at like two a.m. <laughs> it's great. Matt, how's it going? You've Good. been markedly silent this entire episode.
0: <laughs> Good.
1: Care to Good. contribute?
0: <laughs> i don't know i can't really relate to any of those experiences so i don't know what
1: to say i do want to talk about uh more the like the research process if that makes any sense yeah, i think we've been talking about having disabilities in research, yeah. which is important it's important it's but important. not not wasn't and our original both intention both audrey and
2: i have had extensive experience yeah. with, with being disabled to some extent <laughs> yeah. and being
1: in research um but i feel like we could talk about that for 10 hours so the the original thing i wanted to talk about today i feel like this always happens (laughs) where we're an hour in and i'm like oh so the thing i actually wanted to talk about
0: it's an hour 12 right now hour
1: 12 well there's a lot in the beginning i gotta cut out we're good but um oh my god so i wanted to talk about like being given a research project and how you like actually break such a big question into smaller questions because i know like if you take, like, the title of my research right now, it seems like something that you can't really do. And, like, I remember... Mine doesn't. <laughs> Yours that's, is a- that's a physics problem. Is that a physics problem? Yeah. Like, when you're given, like, a research question, does it ever, like, how do you break it into, like, tasks?
2: That is a... Com- that is an almost nonsensical question. For bio, really? For... Is it built in? It depends so heavily on your research i guess yeah like for it depends on and the the role to it that you play in it like mm. so in my cold spring one is the closest i think to the one that i put that i have published in science translational medicine mm. is this huge paper mm. it's like it, it's got like 15 authors on it or something which is huge for biology <laughs> i know it's not 200 plus people like physics or just some guy in his cat mm. but it's uh Um, That's a lot of people and it. um, I really hated working like that because it was like, basically we were trying to prove that there was a a problem in cancer medicine where sometimes cancer drugs don't work like we thought they worked and we haven't been able to prove it until we got CRISPR. Mm -hmm. Um, And so now we have CRISPR and so we went through and we proved that seven cancer drugs don't actually work like they should work at all. So they still work, but instead of inhibiting this one kind of oh, this one kind of protein, they actually inhibit a different protein um, that also works, but no one thought it should work, which means that every time that we build new medicines to target proteins, we've been building them to target the wrong proteins because it turned out those proteins don't really matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a massive project because you have to prove in every possible way that 20 years worth of research is wrong. Um, which meant that it was just, we probably did 300 experiments, um, which is insane for a biopaper. A biopaper is usually three experiments, maybe. Oh, okay, wow. Like, sometimes only one, sometimes one good experiment is publishable. Mm. And, you know, sometimes you'll do three for a bigger paper. And you can have a lot more for depending on the paper, but, like, like, for example, my... My my current project, which will probably be published, will be two experiments, and it will be once in the field in Costa Rica and once in the field in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah.
1: That's the whole paper. I think that's something that's hard to, like, conceive of in physics, because, like, experiments are such a different scale. Cause, yeah. Because, like, a physics experiment is, like, a detector set up at an accelerator <laughs> for me, or, like... It's, it's hard to break it into, like, an experiment because most of the work that you do is building up to the experiment. Like, 99% of the labor is research and development, simulation, uh, th- like, theory work, engineering, and all this until you start collecting data. And then it's actual years of data analysis. Like, almost any physics PhD starts with, like, two solid years of data analysis because you need a data analysis element of your dissertation, kind of no matter what. And you actually, like, it's just years. Yeah, so... it's all big data machines.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so for biology, it's only... You can get... You can completely publish a paper as a high school student. Like, you can run a paper, you can run an experiment, you can get all of the data you need, you can do all the data collection and all the data analysis you need. Usually, like... Often, especially in ecology, data analysis is an ANOVA or three. And what is that? <laughs> analysis of variance. Okay, it's, that's it's, it's not a clear thing. <laughs> comparing means. <laughs> okay. Um, comparing averages. Oh, okay. Um, it's a t test for more than one thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like, you'll make a bar chart. And you'll say these are significantly different. And you really can't, like, my first three papers, I swear we have a figure like that in each of them, which says the average worm weight bef- with this treatment is different than the average worm weight with this treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and those projects are super handleable. You can really, like, like, you can really sit down and do it yourself as a student. Mm-hmm. But that that being said, a lot of times that's not what you're doing yeah like and honestly those are worse labs Mm -hmm. you want to be in the kind of lab like the ideal situation is being in a lab where you have a almost a one-on-one relationship with a professor Mm -hmm. and they help you go through an entire experiment that you do everything for including the design yeah that's the dream
1: yeah i think that is something that's kind of radically different in physics because it's so collaborative but I, th- I think one of my, fa- my favorite part of physics is what I've already mentioned in physics research is becoming the expert on your thing. Because usually, like, while you're in a, a group and usually, like, if you're in a collaboration, you're in a group of hundreds of people all working on the same big, like, umbrella project. But you're an expert in one thing and you're contributing to that. It's, like, a really special feeling to, like, give a presentation in front of a group of people with PhDs and they're interested because they don't do that work. You do it. Yeah, it's like a really fascinating thing. That's that's true too, Matt. You look like you have something to say. Please, please, God, are you okay? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> your track know. is gonna be just silent this whole episode.
0: Because ninety nine percent of the work I do in my field is computational and theoretical. Yeah, like there really aren't experiments that you can do. Yeah, um, weird. Like. <laughs> i guess the closest you can come to that is observational work which is kind of different because you just let the equipment do all the work you just take the data that comes out and analyze it yeah <laughs> so it's 99 percent data analysis one mm-hmm. percent setting things up right
1: yeah like i have a a project right now that's a mix of theory and simulation and so Literally all I'm doing are like looking at all these fancy papers about plasma theory, taking the mathematics from that, solving it, putting it into a simulation and seeing if it's correct compared to another more robust simulation that's very computationally expensive and then being like, hmm, this must be where this is and all that. It's like, it's such a different experience, I think. Like you and, you and me, we don't go to lab.
0: I I could do everything I do from the comfort of my own bed.
1: Yeah, I do I do my work right here. (laughs) That's only the so that's only the last
2: step for biology. Yeah. So the first, it's probably the first step and the last step, because the first step is always a literature review. I've Mm -hmm. been in at this point. I've been in enough different biological fields that I've had to do. I've had to familiarize familiarize myself with all of the literature on the current thing Mm -hmm. which means i'm working through the bat papers right now and microplastics nice yeah which is really interesting um but that you can do from your bed Mm -hmm. and then you got to go do experimental design which you need your professor for so you go and do that there Mm -hmm. and then you have to um get all the equipment you need and then you have to do the actual data collection, which is often a, like, especially if you're doing field collection, that can take years. Yeah. Like my mom spent two years in Tanzania in a tent, following around baboons for her dissertation, um, collecting. That's so cool. I know she <laughs> co- collecting like what they ate and where they traveled and and who their friends were, which is. Just a lot of work. Like, you take a shower from a bag of water, and the (laughs) bag is black so that it gets warm in the sun.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we don't have a lot of logistical requirements for what we do, me and Matt
0: because no, so much of it can be done remotely yeah as long as you can log into a computer and you know how to use the computer yeah yourself.
1: that's the key is you gotta know how to use the computer i
2: i, I like i actually specialize in doing that portion yeah of it. yeah like, you're, I, you're in
1: a niche of bio I, where you use I computers
2: picked, <laughs> i picked a very sp- and i did it on purpose because it's a lot more uh in demand mm-hmm. and everybody needs you to do their stats and but like I, I specifically chose the biology where your data collection is you know two weeks in the lab extracting genomes
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and then you spend uh, a few more weeks with it in uh, computationally and you start trying to pull out patterns in it and figure mm-hmm. out what goes where and how they relate to each other and that's like heavy computationally and most most mm-hmm. biologists that's not that's more analysis and
1: at-home work than they do. I was thinking about this yesterday. So much of physics like in research is just making plots.
0: Because the entirety <laughs> of my project is the code I've written, which outputs plots. Yeah, it's how so you see if your code works. <laughs> I take my plots. I take like, what I see in the plot. Mm-hmm. I take that data. I put it into another plot which is basically a plot summarizing all the plots I've done. Yeah. And then I show that to my advisor. Yeah. I'm like, look at this plot. I'll show you all the component plots.
1: Literally all like about half of the work that I did for my research this week was taking data from a plot that a postdoc in our lab had made and then making it into a better plot. <laughs> because it was like a, uh, a color axis plot, right? Because we have like three... What's that word? <laughs> Variables, I guess.
0: What parameters.
1: Is, parameters. No, I yeah. don't know. But like we have, it's a spatial matrix, and then the color axis is the actual information for that point in space. Is that just a normal thing? What's that called? Is a 3D plot, but with a color axis. PCOA. Oh my God, no. <laughs> but um, the way it had been plotted was on a linear. This is me having a nerd moment, but it was on a linear color scale before. And it's a plot. Oh, of... I saw this plot. Yeah, so it's got. Um... No, I don't think you have. You, you showed me one? your color plot. No, that's a different color plot. Different color. <laughs> yeah, plot? Yeah, this one's way more interesting. Um, I can show you in a second. Um, but it has electric field as a function of two spatial variables, and <laughs> allow me to have a nerd moment. But it was on a linear color axis, and it has positive and negative. Um, values because it's like a funky field inside a plasma. And so I had to take the data, which is in the weirdest compressed data format that I've ever seen. I don't even know. Because it was like inside of it. Have you ever used an HDF5 file for data storage? Nope. It's like a file meant for big data, but this one's not that much data. But it has inside of it two data sets. And then in one of those data sets within it has two more data sets. So there's a data set that's a matrix of all of the electric field values, which is the color axis. And then um, a data set containing two data sets, each of which contains a start and end point for each of the uh, the spatial axes. And that's it. It was, like, really weird. (laughs) But I had to redo this plot, and I put it on, like, a symmetric logarithmic color axis, and it's so much better. But, like, it's literally what I spent my week on, was making a plot that could better, like translate because the the color axis before was so pale you couldn't actually see what was going on because it was linear instead of logarithmic and so now it's like so absolutely clear what's happening inside this like plasma wake anyway (laughs) inside
2: a plasma wake yeah is that like a boat in fire
1: (laughs) it is the word wake is in the same sense of like the wake of a boat Exactly.
2: And plasma-like fire. So it's a boat going through fire. (laughs) It's not
1: plasma-like fire. It's plasma-like highly ionized gas, but yeah.
2: So it's a James Bond. What? (laughs) Doesn't he light boats on
1: fire? No idea. I haven't watched all of them or read all of them. Is it a book also? I feel like it started as a book. I don't
0: know.
1: Maybe Maybe I'm thinking of something else. I'm
0: thinking of something. It's not James Bond, but it's not what I thought it was. (laughs) So now I'm just (laughs) going to... I'm going to forget that. <laughs> okay.
1: My point is, I spent probably about five hours this week making a plot. So when you read,
2: when you read bio papers, so it depends on the biopaper, but the first time that I went to a journal club for um, my cancer lab, so a journal club is everyone in the lab uh, gets like, it's like a book club. They, the, someone picks out a paper and everyone in the lab reads the paper and then you meet and talk about it and they hopefully serve you food. Otherwise don't go. <laughs> and the first one I went to, they literally assigned people like figure numbers and you had to know, you had to be able to explain your own figure That's because awesome. the way that you read, a cancer paper is you just read through all the figures like you don't have to read the other words oh you read the abstract the figure and the discussion Mm -hmm. and that's it which was so bizarre because before that like um if you read ecology papers um the figures are important but so is the story in the figures like like you have to read like there's no you don't just read the figures only like that Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense those figures are supported by the rest of the story in addition to it,
1: how many physics papers have you read, Matt?
0: I've read, I've read a lot more astro papers and oh I have yeah, but papers. like in
1: astro papers, is it mostly math?
0: Mm, there's like some math in the introduction, usually. Mm. Um, I'd say about one third of the papers are like math based. Yeah, but
1: because I don't know, the if other I... majority
0: is mm. here's how I motivated. What i set up and simulated Mm -hmm. and then don't read the rest of it just look at my results
1: yeah i think i'm a little skewed because most of the uh physics papers i read have been theory papers like my my research now is not strictly theory but it's motivated by theory papers and my research over the summer was the other research where i read a lot of papers and that was also strictly like actually just hardcore theory Um, but they were all like it was walking you through the math and then plots show up to show you physically what's happening which is why plots are so important in physics i think because like the math describes what's happening but it's really hard to unless you're like next level good at math and like visualizing things it's really hard to see what's happening physically and plots let you do that
0: that's impossible for the papers i've been reading yeah because the research i'm doing is on one like feature of a planetary system mm-hmm. and the effect that we're studying mathematically is like hamiltonians of over elements in mm-hmm. like three different dimensions um in like three different kinds of parameter spaces mm-hmm. that you have to like map to other coordinate spaces mm-hmm. and it's just ridiculous so you just skip over all that
1: Skipping the math hurts my heart.
0: You just skip it. No. It's not important.
1: Clara, you look like you zoned out at the mention of the word Hamiltonian. What <laughs> oh, that like, means. Yeah, Except like, like Matt said Hamiltonian and I looked over at you and you're Alexa, just staring at the you're floor. Hamiltonian. <laughs> yeah, no. Hamiltonians are very physics specific, I think. Do they get talk about them in math? I don't no. Know. They're not
0: useful in math. They're
1: what? not useful in math. A Hamiltonian is a description of the total energy of a system. It's very specific to physics. Don't
2: worry I about it. You can sort of imagine that with a food
1: chain. Ew. Yeah. yeah. No idea. See, <laughs> so usually our Hamiltonians are on the scale of like either planets or like electrons.
0: <laughs> Everything is a Hamiltonian. Everything can
1: be described by a Hamiltonian though. But you get introduced to them mostly in classical mechanics. Species diversity.
2: Quantum not expressible by a hamiltonian
0: the species are hamiltonians at heart Mm -hmm. everything they're made of is a hamiltonian i don't
2: think they have the kind of cash to afford that musical (laughs) you can't afford the tickets (laughs) you all can't see it but i just made matt smile (laughs) he like grinned and looked away (laughs) he was like no
1: it's ashamed a little bit uh yeah turns out physics is weird and different from bio who knew but yeah i think uh in my experience like most of research is taking such a big question and breaking it into like very tiny questions like i don't know if you saw our whiteboard in the hallway right now but my i literally have like a bulleted list of like I have this problem titled goals. Yeah, goals. I like I and I did this in my first lab too and I highly recommend it if anyone's ever feeling lost in their research make f- fucking bulleted lists of tasks and just get through them. If you can't figure out what to do because literally all I do is I'm like I need to find these like weird hard like vague boundary conditions on this complicated system that i don't understand but i understand how to make a plot of this thing that i already have i understand how to take that plot and integrate it into my simulations i already have and i understand how to compare that data to existing data and like all these things you like i feel like research teaches you how to get really good at breaking a big task into very small ones
0: isn't that what you said earlier did it yeah yeah basically you're met with one thing that you want to find out and then you got to figure out okay how do i do that Mm -hmm. so then you get like a few different ways and then you take one and you say okay how do i do this yeah and then that breaks (laughs) down further and then you pick one of those and you're okay maybe i know how to do this so i'm going to try to do that Uh and then you figure that out and you're like wait i need to do this also Mm -hmm. to figure out how to do this
2: this is what modeling is like yeah Oh, except for you guys only do modeling. <laughs> we only oh, do modeling. bizarre. <laughs> do you I was understand? Like, I was like, I've solved problems like this yeah. before, but they're always modeling problems. Mm-hmm. Where I go, okay, what information would I need to input into a model in order to know this?
1: I feel like this is something that's very like common in, in comp sci also. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's very a very comp, comp sci, sci way of thinking. That is how you do comp Where it's like, sci. I want a program that does this thing. How do I do that? Well, first I need this, 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 and this. And then you break it down until it's... Not just like a function that does this thing. It's a set of like modules and subfunctions that all give you the information you need to actually.
0: Well, I think do it's the because act. physics and like astronomy research nowadays has basically just become how can I program what happens in real <laughs> yeah.
1: life. I mean, from our experience, yeah, it's very computational.
0: How can I make the universe happen in my computer?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot
2: of good science fiction about that. Mm.
0: some might say that we are in science fiction
2: science fact
0: the simulation
2: (laughs) oh it's the season for science fiction i'm so
1: happy (laughs) i love october all right any any closing thoughts on research since we've been going for uh, a hot minute closing closing thoughts any friends my plant's not doing hot it really looks very sad Your plant's not doing so hot. I know. I'm hoping... I don't know what I'm hoping. Anything would be great. I think ferns just, like, are hard inside. They just don't do great indoors. Because they are, like, forest floor. And this is in the air.
2: I, I have a question, which is, how do you get into physics research? like what advice would you give people in order to get into a physics lab
1: Well have you listened to our f-
2: first episode I did
1: yeah <laughs> I no. did yeah but
2: with like this like not a, to get it not just like get into one but like to be in one a good one A good one A good one
1: I I don't think I've okay I've been in like some bad situations but they haven't been usually because of my PI with the exception of my summer research where my PI just wasn't there and I was just alone in Texas doing Mathematica code. But I had no control over who I worked with then. Um, I think, on what what would you say the most th- important thing is for, for a PI in physics? You Now that we're doing grad school searches, you probably have a good idea.
0: Just as long as they're doing what you want to do. Mm. Because both of my projects, I've been the one leading the project. Yeah. And my advisor has just been kind of keeping me in the right direction Mm -hmm. so as long as they know enough about the specific the specifics about what you want to do Mm -hmm. that's what's most important
2: yeah make sure that your lab mates aren't telling you that the thing that you are most passionate about is kind of stupid and they don't understand it
1: yeah i think true story (laughs) yeah i think and like in my experience my projects haven't really been my idea they've been they've been given to me but that's because i work in a field where an undergrad doesn't know what questions to ask because it's it's so complicated and it has so many hundreds of people working on it that you kind of just step in and be like i'm open to anything i like the process of doing physics and like specifically like i know for me i'm like i like the theory aspects but pure theory drives me nuts and i like doing code so like put me in it I I look for labs where I would have the opportunity to do those things. And for me, I'm not significantly motivated. Like generally physics questions intrigue me, but I'm not motivated by like any specific thing. I know some people are like, I really wanna learn more about dark energy and they'll go in that direction. But I don't really have a direction like that. Like I generally I like I've fallen into accelerator physics because First off, it's what I have experience in, and it's also, like, I like it there. I like the work environment, and I like the kind of questions that I get, which are, they're broad physics questions. Like, my first experiment was talking about asymmetry and electroweak electron scattering interactions. Like, it's, it's like this big umbrella thing, and it, it doesn't even exist yet. Um, like, the, the detector I've helped design doesn't exist yet. This could but... be Klingon. <laughs> Hmm? That could be, that could have been in Klingon. Yeah. It, it was, we've said it before. It was like measurement of uh electroweak lepton-lepton reactions. Lepton, <laughs> lepton, lepton, lepton. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, like, it's such a broad thing. But then my specific project was literally just like, find the hotspots of error, like of of background radiation in these specific detectors using this detector, like this simulation framework. And that is like a practical question that I can do and I can tackle. And I feel like physics has, in any field has so many big questions. So practical. What? Okay. It's, it's a practical question in the framework of an absurd question. (laughs) Like I feel like a lot of a lot of physics is is such. How big to questions. cure
2: malaria? Now there is a practical yeah. question. Okay, okay, it's a practical question. But I worked question, on.
1: But it's a big question. That, so like... is, so is how to cure malaria. Oh, no, no no, that's what I'm saying. That's a big question. Yeah. Which like you can't just solve. <laughs> no, I guess yeah you yeah can. you you but you find your niche and you you take a a more manageable chunk out of it.
2: Yeah, I feel like. Even in bio, though, you never pick your own project. You very rarely... Yeah, like I haven't picked my own project. Even if you do, what that means is that you decide to choose one particular of any projects. Oh, like project a, a list, list. you Yeah, offered. you choose off of a list based on what you're... Like, you're never gonna... The closest that I've gotten to that was uh, designing my GRFP, mm-hmm. right? Which is bizarre because I've never had the ability to make up a pretend project where I'm like... <laughs> Given any circumstance and any lab, what do I do? Um, I. But the, the the best advice I'd have for um, going into a bio lab would be um, to value professors who are good teachers mm-hmm. over hotshot professors. I there's so agree. A lot like getting into a big famous lab that publishes in lots of places. Like it's okay for a while and it's probably good for your resume and i but even the letter of rec even a letter of rec from a from a famous person is not as good as a letter of rec from someone who knows you really well mm-hmm. and someone who can work with you and help you get into grad school and knows people and knows you
1: yeah and I, can
2: help you pick a project <laughs> that makes you happy
1: i have like had the pleasure of working with a really good advisor like now for my for my thesis and i think navi yeah he's so good and i think one of the best parts about working with him is that while i'm like communicating physics with him like he'll he'll find holes in my reasoning and he'll find things that i don't understand fully but he doesn't make me feel like shit for not fully understanding the physics because he knows it's hard because it's plasma accelerator physics like it's not something i should know yeah and even
0: one of my favorite things about my advisor is He openly admits things he doesn't understand himself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, Navi does that all the time. He's like, I don't know how to do this. I'll have to read about it and get back to you. And it's like having a professor who's like, first off, humble enough to admit when they don't know things and also like just makes you more confident in Conf- your own ability which they only get by being confident
2: yeah like you they- know they're confident enough that they know as much as they need to know mm-hmm. in that that doesn't mean that they know everything but rather they can figure out anything yeah and not only that they believe that you can figure out anything <laughs> yeah. and they're gonna help you do it and so mm-hmm. they're gonna look at the thing that you don't know how to do and say oh well you can figure it out like this let me show you
1: mm-hmm yeah like my my advisor makes me more confident in my ability to solve problems in physics, which is like so valuable it's like especially for me because I'm someone who's generally as as we know from our second episode not confident in my in my own ability to do physics like it's it's so like actually radically different from what I'm used to, and it's so nice to leave a research meeting feeling good and not like you've disappointed everyone. <laughs> And so just, like, having an advisor that's not only a good teacher and good at their job, but good at, like, teaching you how to be a better scientist is so good. Like, like my advisor takes a personal interest in my ability to communicate science, to write about science, to get grants in the future, to go to a good grad school. Like, he's not just there to make sure I do, like, hit work for him correctly. He's, yeah. he's there to make sure I'm a better scientist in the future which I think is so valuable. Impossible to find. <laughs> like, it's pure luck that that I'm working with him. And so it's like, it's just a matter You can of...
2: get it from talking to their other students. Yeah, that's true. That's the, if you're looking for a lab, the best way to know if it's a good lab for, for undergrad or graduate school is to go talk to the people who are currently in it. That's true. And ask them about the PI and st- see if they could be your friends. Because if they're mm-hmm. like you, mm-hmm. then likely... And they like their PI, then you're likely also going to like the
1: PI. I'm the only undergrad in my lab.
2: Really? Yeah, right now. It d- only undergrad. You know, graduate student though is still useful
1: information. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And a happy like, graduate while... student is even harder, actually. <laughs> yeah.
1: While while we're looking for grad schools, that's part of what what we've all been doing is is reaching out to advisors. Yes, but reaching out to their students as well. Like I know I'm I'm having coffee with a bunch of students of an advisor I'm talking to next week, like just to see. What their lives are like and make sure everything's okay <laughs> but we've gone on for a long time friends real long time so we should wrap it up um yeah plants not doing so hot but it's fine um our twitter's actually up now with with content and things um Clara, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to having your parents feed me.
2: Yeah, they will feed you a giant <laughs> mushroom barbecue.
1: <laughs> All right. Uh, any closing thoughts? We've, we've, we said that last time, and then we had many more closing thoughts. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, we, we good? Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you guys next week.